You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Turn to Matthew 28. We're going to read the whole chapter of Matthew 28 this morning. And we're in the habit of not putting the the text on the screen, but kind of encouraging you to uh, find it in your own Bible, to bring your own Bible. If you don't bring your own Bible, there's Bibles on every table. So turn to Matthew 28. We're going to read this whole chapter, which happens to be 20 verses. And so this is the story of the resurrection. Um, All this month we're reading different resurrection stories, and this is Matthew's resurrection of Jesus story. It says this, Matthew 28, verse 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb, of course, to find Jesus there. And there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, if you could imagine that. And his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And verse 5 says, The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know you are come looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. Just as he said, Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples, He is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him um, now as I have told you. Verse 8 says, So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped at his feet, and worshipped him. That's kind of cool that they worshipped him. So one more, uh, we're going to talk today about how Jesus was God. And so Jesus didn't stop them from worshipping him. Um, Then Jesus said to them, this is verse 10, Do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to uh, go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Verse 11 says, While the women were on their way, some of the guards went to the city and reported to the chief priests everything that happened. And while the chief priests had met with uh, the elders and devised a plan, so they're kind of scheming to, to portray this idea that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. So it says they gave the soldiers a large sum of money telling them, you were to say the disciples came during the night and stole him away while, they were, while you were asleep. If, any, if this report gets to the governor, they will be, uh, we will be satisfied and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this is a story that's been wildly circulated among the Jews still to this day. And then verse 16 the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And while the, um, when they saw him, they worshipped him. Some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, this is the great commission that we often refer to. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you for this story of resurrection that's in all four of the Gospels. God, as we today in the Mill Sunday School talk about your death, talk about how you rose from the dead, God, fill us, um, impart us with your knowledge, your wisdom, your love, uh, uh, and this, this idea that we can be raised from the dead ourselves, meaning uh, in the end, when our life is over, we, we will be raised from the dead, as well as the spiritual um, resurrection that we can experience here and now, that you are God, you rose from the dead, And we can experience that through you. So, Father, we worship you and we praise your name always. And everybody screamed. Amen. Amen. Good. All right. Well, uh, this is the Mill Sunday School. Welcome. Um, where We uh, took last Sunday off, and so you celebrated the resurrection service probably somewhere, maybe here, maybe downtown. I heard it was packed downtown New Life Campus. But... um, 
two weeks ago, we talked about the fake Easter. How many of you were there when we talked about the fake Easter? We talked about why it's called Easter, and we talked about Ishtar. Do you remember that? And everybody um, was like, oh gosh, that's dirty. Uh, horrible pagan stuff has been mixed in with Christianity over the years of time. Um, the, the day that we worship was the day that Ishtar was worshipped. Um, the, the day we worship Jesus risen was the day they, in the Babylonian times and the uh, Middle Ages worshipped uh, Ostre or Ishtar. Um, we talked about the egg fertility symbol. We talked about the bunny, the fertility symbol. Um, and so I was wondering what you all did last week, because we kind of ended last week with this idea that, okay, some of this stuff has pagan origins, but and yet it's still fun for maybe kids to eat chocolate. I mean, who doesn't like chocolate as a kid? And to um, find Easter eggs and, and do things like that. So we talked about this bigger idea of like finding this balance between like not like going into your your family's you know festivities on Easter and being like flipping over the table saying like these are Ishtar's eggs I can't believe this and like smacking little kids and getting the chocolate out of their mouth how dare you little monsters um and so we just talked a lot, two weeks ago about, well, let's find the balance between this, this idea of having fun with, with spring and eggs and chocolates and, of course, worshiping Jesus, the only true risen God on his day. So last week, um, I was in Minnesota celebrating Resurrection Sunday. We went to church. I think that's an awesome tradition for Resurrection Sunday. Then we had some family time. We went to this park. Um, here's a picture of Jay and Jay's cousin, Corin. Oh, look at him. Uh, Jay, of course, is eating a rock. That's my son. Um, good idea. And uh, I, I share this story to say that we, Corin's uh, grandma, because Corin's like two and a half or so, and so she's old enough to kind of understand some of the traditions. So we got her this book, at least grandma did, which is what is, what is Easter? And basically it's a book that says, you know, the bunnies, the chocolates, the eggs, that's fun stuff, but it's really about Jesus and how he rose from the dead. And so it was with that attitude that I think we... That's just, I'm just kind of sharing what we did la- last week with trying to uh, emphasize Jesus and the resurrection while trying to maybe in some ways de-emphasize the chocolates and the eggs. And so we did do a little Easter egg hunt. It lasted like 10 minutes. We didn't make this big deal about the Ishtar bunny coming and <laughs> delivering the eggs. We just hid them and said we did, and then they found them. And I have a video. Would you like to see a video of Jay's first Easter egg hunt? So it's just me showing off my kid is all this really is. So enjoy. It's like five seconds. Don't miss it. There's the eggs. There's the little hunter. Go get those eggs. Crawl over to get them. There's a successful hunt there. (laughs) That's it. That was the extent of the entire Easter egg hunt for Jay. How precious. I mean, he's only eight months, so um, anyway. So, Mill Sunday School, welcome to Mill Sunday School. If you're new to the Mill Sunday School, we take months by topic. All this month, we're going to be talking about the real Easter, the resurrection. So we talked about the fake Easter uh, a couple weeks ago. Today, we're going to talk about the death of Jesus. And then next week, you don't want to miss that, we're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. And the week after that, we'll have one more week as well to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. And so um, as far as announcements go, welcome to Mill Sunday School. Uh, The main meeting, the main college ministry, college and 20-somethings ministry at New Life, kind of the young adult 
adult ministry. It's called The Mill. meets on Friday nights. Um, you're welcome to come to that. That's more of a service with worship and a sermon. The Mill Sunday School is kind of a branch out of that where it's kind of like school. We call it Sunday School. Lots of learning, taking notes kind of thing. Hopefully you got some notes when you came in. We call it a skillet, the Sunday School uh, millet, which is like our bulletin. Looks like that. So here's some notes. And so the first point on the notes, if you want to start taking notes, is the death of God. And this is very important for us to consider Jesus on the cross, that Jesus was not just a man, not just a good man who died on a cross, but we as Christians unite under this belief that he was much more than a man. He was, in fact, God himself. And so here's a painting of of that. Um, this is a, kind of a modern uh, painting approach. I think the artist who drew this is actually a, usually a comic book um, drawer. And um, this is called Jesus Alone on the Cross. And as we think about this event, and we, we, we will read a little section here in Matthew 27, it's, it's astounding to think that, that our God, like the same God who created the earth, the sun, the universes, like the, the galaxies, and, and the telescopes can't even see the end. And then we think about microscopes and the, the, the creation of life and beauty and love. That same God came to this earth, and we believe he died on a cross for our sins. And what an amazing story, what an amazing event. And so it's kind of that that we're going to talk about today, the death of God, um, and then we'll talk about how that works for salvation. But I wanted to read the story. And this is Matthew 27. We read, uh, just read Matthew 28 to begin. But this is Matthew 27, if you want to turn to it. Um, it's Matthew 27. I'm going to begin in verse 45 and just read a few verses. It says, um, Matthew 27, 5, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, uh, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near said, he's calling Elijah. Verse 48 says, immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on the staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest of them said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn uh, into from top to bottom, the earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs were open. And listen to this verse. I just think it's crazy. Bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city, appearing to many people. Did you ever, ever notice that verse before? I remember noticing it a long time ago. I was like, wow, that's kind of weird. Um, but really cool that de- formerly dead people rose from the dead and appeared to people. Um, Verse 54 says, The centurion who was there standing guard with Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, and they were terrified, and they exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God, which turns out to be our sweet quote of the day, just this, this, this statement of the centurion standing near the cross of Jesus. Surely this was the Son of God. And then um, many of the women who were there watching from a distance, they followed Jesus from Galilee to take care of for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, the mother of uh, James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. And so what we have here is another uh, picture. This is a um, a picture of a statue. This is the uh, Pieta, which is Michelangelo's. Um, he t- took a single slab of granite and carved Mary, the mother of Jesus, holding the dead body of her son, and of course, our God, uh, the, the same God who created everything. And th- this, is, this portrayal here is just this beautiful idea that God 
himself came to this earth and died for us. And so when we consider Jesus, we consider his humanity and his um, divinity all at the same time. We have this very big, special, uh, systematic, theological word, which is, or this phrase, which is the hypostatic union. This union of Jesus between him being, you know, the Sunday school answer. If, you know, I'm sure you've learned this. Maybe you haven't learned it before. Maybe you just heard it taught to you, or maybe you've, uh, if you've never learned it, here it is, that, that Jesus is 100% God, And 100% man at the same time. He's not 50% God and 50% man. He's 100% of both. And and how that mysteriously can happen that someone is two divinities or two beings in the same thing, divine and human, is, is this mystery of the hypostatic union. And so that's what we talk about as we try to explain how Jesus could be both human and God at the same time. And this is an early church painting of Jesus. If you notice one side, I guess both sides of his face is, are a little different. The right side is, um, uh, is a little bigger eye. The left side is a little smaller eye. Has anybody ever seen a painting like this before? If you've ever seen this, it's, it's on purpose that, that Jesus' face uh, and kind of looks like he's kind of um, two sides of his face there being different. And this is an early Christian painting to portray that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man at the same time. And so this is kind of an artistic um, rendition or explanation of how that could be one person, but both natures in one. So both human and God at the same time, which is so beautiful, so important for us to understand because both of those things are very important. When we say that Jesus was a human, and we, we um, affirm that, we say that, well, Jesus was truly human, then he knows what it's like to suffer, that our God knows what it's like to suffer. We wouldn't say, and maybe someone has told you this before, and you're like, oh, that's kind of a cool analogy. It's cool up to a point, but it's very wrong to say that God came down and just maybe put on a human Halloween suit and walked and lived his life. That's kind of creepy, actually. But anyways, um, I've heard it explained that way. Like, oh, Jesus, he was God. It's like God came down and put on a human suit and he died on the cross. But that would mean that just the suit suffered. on the, Just the suit was nailed to the cross. Just the suit cried out. And we would say, no, that, that's, that's not right as far as analogies go. Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully human. And to be fully human, it meant that he really did suffer. And so if you have ever suffered physically, emotionally, uh, been betrayed by a friend, um, been confused, um, been cried out, God, why have you forsaken me? Well, our God and Jesus being totally human has also experienced that. And that's this great, um, it's not really an answer to the problem of evil. Like when, when we're suffering, we can call out and say, God, where are you? You know, why would you let this horrible thing happen to me? Um, that answer is, is a whole nother, you know, month's topic of the problem of evil. But we can say that, well, where is Jesus? Well, he's here. He, he's been through it. He has suffered. He isn't far off. He knows what it's like to, to lose friends, to, to, to die, to suffer physically, etc. So, um, so that's the humanity of Jesus. The other side is the divinity of Jesus. And we, especially as Christians, um, we, we hold hands figuratively and surround this idea that Jesus was, in fact, God himself. And there's lots of groups that are very similar to Christianity that would say, we believe in Jesus, we believe that we believe in the Bible, but we don't believe he was God. And some of these groups, I'm going to name some of them in a second, we often, um, I know I've been guilty of just calling them cults. And calling 
like Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses or 12 tribes or Christian scientists, calling them a cult is just, in, in my opinion, it's just kind of being mean. It's just kind of using a bad word. It's like calling someone's mom fat. It's like, are you just trying to make me mad? Are you just trying to tick me off? Um, so the word cult, even though I, maybe by definition they would be a cult, they are, they are not. Uh, we would not say they're evangelical, Protestant, Christian we, we would say they, they do not believe in the Nicene Creed. They do not believe, all those groups that I just mentioned, they don't believe Jesus was God. But, but just as far as, you, as far as I'm concerned, th- I think the cult word, I think we should just kind of get rid of it because it's just so mean. So anyways, there, there's four different groups I'm going to mention. And all four of these groups would say they're Christians, I assume. They would say they believe in the Bible. They would say they believe in Jesus, but they would draw the line in saying, we don't believe Jesus was God. And that is huge. That, that separates, I, I believe, us and the Mormons. It separates us and the Jehovah's Witnesses by a huge chasm when you make the statement that Jesus was not God. Because we'll talk about the importance of that in just a minute. So here's the four groups. The Mormons, you, you, you've probably seen uh, young guys doing their mission. They're, they're kind of, their uniform is ties, white shirts. Usually they're on backpacks. Usually they walk everywhere they go or they ride bikes. They do a lot of door-to-door ministry. Um, and so they don't believe that Jesus was divine, fully God. They would say he was a good, he was a good uh, man. He, he, they would say he died for our sins. But I've heard them say, and maybe this isn't the official way of explaining it, but I've heard quite a few Mormons explain it this way, that Jesus only saves you so far. Because I think because they, they would say he wasn't fully God. That Jesus can only save you so far. And then you need to take your salvation further if you really want to go and get all the rewards of heaven. And they believe in levels of heaven and the celestial kingdom. If you really want to be um, truly saved, then you need to be a Mormon. There's no salvation outside of the Mormon church according to their beliefs. You have to tithe to the Mormon church. You have to be married in a Mormon temple to another Mormon or a Latter-day Saint. And without those things, you can't truly be saved. Saved. And that's where we would draw the line. We would say, that's very different than what we believe. We would say, as, as Protestant evangelical Christians, we would say, no, Jesus is fully God. His sacrifice fully covered our sins. We don't need to add anything to salvation. Another group, um, Christian scientists. Here's a picture of the Christian science reading room. Has anybody seen one or been in one? There's these little rooms. And you're like, oh, sweet, a reading room. Looks like a coffee shop. Cool. You go in there. There's probably a little old lady there, and sh- she may give you pamphlets and things. Mary Baker Eddy was the founder of this religion. And they would also agree with the Mormons and disagree with us as Protestant evangelicals that Jesus was not God. And so they would add things to salvation like, um, oh, you can't go to doctors. You have to pray for healing. Um, you, um, you, you can't believe, like, they, they don't believe that the world is real, like, life is real. There is no life. There is no world. There was no Jesus. There is no sin. There is no spoon. There is nothing. It's just the, the only, the, there's like a heavenly world that really exists, and this world doesn't really exist, which is just different than what we believe. But, but drawing that line and saying Jesus wasn't divine, I think, is, is, is drawing the line. Um, I always say this joke. You've probably heard me say this joke. It's not even that funny. I think it's quirky. But I say uh, Christian scientists are like grape nuts. Grape nuts are neither grapes nor nuts. Anyways. <clears throat> Anyways, moving right along, a, th- a third group. Um, I'm probably the most familiar with these guys. 
<coughs> this is the 12 tribes in uh, one of their branches is here in Colorado, in Manitou Springs. If you've ever been to the Mate Factor in, in Manitou, anybody been there? It's a coffee shop. They have really good coffee, really good sandwiches. They're really nice people. They, they dress very simply. You might think that, oh, they're, they're, uh, Qua- they're uh, uh, Mennonite or what's the religion of the East? Amish, you might think that, but they're, they're not as, as uh, simple. Um, they do have cell phones and cars and jeans and things like that. But anyways, um, they're called the 12 tribes. And if you go into the coffee shop, and I've had plenty of really good conversations that didn't get like, I hate it when conversations get really debatey and you get mad at each other. But I've had really good conversations with some 12 tribe people, just listening, asking them what they believe. They would ask me, like, why do I believe what I believe? Had some great conversations with them. But they would also draw the line and say, Jesus, they would say they believe in the Bible, they believe in Jesus, but they don't believe he was God. And I think because he wasn't God to them, they also need to add to salvation. And they would say, you have to live in community. You have to be a part of their 12 tribes if you want to be truly saved. And there's no salvation outside of, true salvation outside of their little community. You have to live in community like they do and be part of them to be truly saved. And we would draw the line there and say, no, you believe in Jesus. Jesus covered your sins once and for all. He was God. I mean, God's sacrifice is good enough for salvation. The final group, I saw this picture. I thought it was kind of cool. Uh, it's just a Jehovah's Witness smiling, doing door-to-door ministry. They usually have the Watchtower magazine or what the Bible really says, this, this pamphlet. Um, and th- they would also uh, believe in the Bible, say they believe in Jesus. They, lots of them would say, we are Christians. Uh, but they would draw the line and say, Jesus was not divine. Jesus was not God. And so um, to them, they have to add things to salvation. There's like this idea of the 144,000 of them that are really saved. And um, you have to do certain, you have to do door-to-door ministry or else you're not truly saved, etc. So these are some groups. Uh, I would not call them cults just because that word is so mean, but I would call them I wouldn't call them Protestant, Evangelical, Nicene Creed, believing Christians because they would, all four of these groups draw the line and say Jesus wasn't divine. So here's a question for you because I imagine some of you uh, know Mormons. Maybe Mormons knocked on your door, Jehovah's Witness. Maybe you've seen the Christian Science Reading Room downtown or you go to the Mate Factor for coffee every once in a while in Manitou. And so what are we as, as Bible-believing Christian, believing that Jesus was divine, what can we say? So I'm going to give you a discussion question to maybe, um, maybe get together as tables, you know, join in, meet somebody, and just try to um, think up some verses. So like, is there verses? Because Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, um, 12 tribes, they all believe in Jesus, and they all believe in the Bible, yet they don't believe he was God. And so what can we say as Christians? So what verses make claim to Jesus' divinity. So turn in your Bibles. If you have a concordance, if you have an iPod or an iPad, pull that out. Uh, look, look for verses. And maybe you know a verse off the top of your head, but you don't know where it's found. You can just quote it. Write it down. See if you can get one or two or three. Maybe some of you can get five verses that, that are verses that prove Jesus was God from the context of Scripture. So meet somebody new. Uh, turn, look around you, invite people to your table. Um, we'll give you like five minutes to do this. Ready, get set, go. All right, how many tables found one or more verses? Good, lots of tables. Two or more? Three or more? Five or more? Oh, wow, I'm impressed. Six or, I only gave you like three minutes. Seven or more? Really, eight or more? 
Nine? Nine? Ten? You got 20? For real? Wow. Sweet. Yeah, I told you you could Google it. So he's not he's cheating. No, I told you you could. He's a cheater. I found, um, I just found nine really good ones that have always really impressed me. So I'm going to list these for you. If you want to write them down, you sure can. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be very quick, though. So, um, I really like John 1.1. 1, 1, probably my favorite. Did anybody list that one? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. It turns out that the, the Word is this Word that we use for Jesus, who came in the flesh, the one and only begotten of God. Um, and, and so that verse to me is just like, duh, of course. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus, was with God and was God. And so that verse is very hard, I, I imagine, for Mormons, um, the 12 tribes, to get around. Like, how do you get around that? Anyways, uh, John 5.18 says this, uh, for the Jews... Uh, for this cause, therefore, the Jews were seeking him all the more to kill him because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but also calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So why did the Jews want to kill him? For blasphemy, not just for, you know, doing miracles or healing on the Sabbath, but for being equal with God. That was John five eighteen. John eight twenty four. I have, I have quite a few from John, by the way. John eight twenty four. This is Jesus about heaven. It says, uh, I said, therefore, to you that you shall die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. I am he. That conversation begins with uh, being from heaven, and God is from heaven. So Jesus is he. Uh, John eight fifty eight. Um, the one I just read was John eight twenty four. So this is John eight fifty eight. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, and I say unto you, before Abraham was... I am, which is, I think you kind of have to read into that one a little bit to know that, of course, I am, or in Greek, ego in me, is this, uh, the word, the, the word for Yahweh, which in the Old Testament, um, like, is it Exodus 3, where Moses gives his name, excuse me, God gives his name to Moses and says, I am who that I am, gives his name as I am, and so Jesus says before I Abraham was, I am. And it's not like the people there had any confusion about what he was saying because they picked up rocks and were about to kill him for, for blasphemy, claiming to be a god uh, or the god, uh, the I am. So, and then John 10, uh, 30, this is the next one, uh, says, uh, I and the Father am one. It's like, wow, okay, cool. What does he mean by that? I've heard Mormons say, oh, it just means him and the Father are on the same page. It's like, oh, really? Well, verse 31 says the Jews picked up stones uh, again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father, for which, you are, for which are you stoning me? Verse 33, uh, the Jews answered him, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. And so it's like, Okay, it's not just Jesus saying, I'm on, the, I'm on the same page as God. Jesus saying, because the Jews who were listening to him picked up stones to kill him because they were thinking that he was claiming to be God. Uh, a couple more. John 14, 9 says, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. Um, John twenty twenty eight. Thomas answered to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus just goes with it. Jesus doesn't say, oh, wait, I'm not your God. Uh, Colossians 2, 9, for in him all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. Duh. Um, uh, Philippians 2, uh, 5 begins with have this attitude, which is the same as Jesus Christ, who existed in the very form of God, uh, but then humbled himself, etc. Uh, Hebrews 1, 8, my last one. Um, but of the Son of God, he says, so of the Son of God, so the Son, he says, 
Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The righteous specter, uh, scepter is in the scepter of his kingdom. So, like, here's, I mean, just, we would just look at these verses, these nine. Some of you probably had different ones. That one table had 20, which had a prize. Um, um, these verses, we would say, Jesus does clearly claim to be God. And people, his followers, also put that claim on him and said that about him, that he is God. So if someone ever says, Jesus never claimed to be God, it's like, what? Did you not read these verses? How, how can you get around that? Anyways, moving along to this big idea. So this is the second part of the Mill Sunday School. Um, we're kind of leaving his death, and we talked about his death. We're not really leaving it. We're, we're emphasizing our salvation now through his death, which is this word that I put on the board, atonement. Um, and this is not... Christianity 101. Sometimes in Mill Sunday School, we talk about Christianity 101. We re-talk about the foundations and the basics of our faith. The basics of our faith would be Jesus died for our sins. He paid the price for our sins, right? We believe that? Amen? Amen. And so that, that's kind of Christianity 101. Um, Christianity 401 or AP, Advanced Placement Christianity, Sunday Mill Sunday School Christianity gets into atonement, which is really the question of how does Jesus' death on the cross pay for our sins? It's like, we, we believe that as Christians. Yeah, Jesus' death on the cross pays for our sins. We believe that. That's how it works. Or we would just say, that's, that's what works. But then if you really get into the question of how does that question, how does that work that Jesus, God, that's, that's where we've been so far in the middle Sunday school, that Jesus, God, on the cross, dies for our sins, how in the world does that work? The how makes it advanced placement or 401 type lectures. Uh, and so let's begin with this word atonement, which is an actual old English word <clears throat> at one mint is how you can kind of break it up. And it's how we as humans be- can become one with God, <clears throat> how we can be atoned to him, how our sins can be atoned for. And so we, we, we talk about how Jesus Paid it all. Did you, do you know that song, in fact, that we sing it at the mill sometimes? It starts off, uh, I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch. Find in me thy strength, uh, find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And so I found on YouTube this really sweet uh, uh, clip of this uh black gospel singer singing this. Um, it's an eight, <clears throat> 1800s uh, hymn that we kind of sing at the mill, but uh, if you have any tambourines or clapping, or always sing along, it's pretty good. good stuff so that song jesus paid it all so we believe that right amen amen jesus paid it all and here's the question that gets to the atonement here's the question that gets to the 401 the advanced placement thinking of our christian uh theology and i'll give it to you as a discussion question i'll give you this discussion question it just says to whom did jesus pay the debt to whom of jesus paid it all 
Yeah, we believe that. That's, that's 101 kind of stuff in this analogy. Hopefully you're not offended by it. Um, so 101 stuff is Jesus paid it all. But then the rethinking and, and, and trying to come to conclusions about atonement and how salvation works, we can come to the question of to whom did Jesus pay it all to? It's a great song. But, but to whom? Like, we owe it to him. We owe it to Jesus because he paid it. That's actually the real name of the song, All to Him I Owe. But um, who did he pay it to? And so that's the discussion question. I want to give you some options so you're not just like, uh, I have no idea where to go with this. Um, so if you're in the front of the room, um, I'll give you the... So you talk about how he paid the debt to God. And there's lots of directions you can go to that. You can talk about how God was dishonored when we sin against him. And so the debt has to be paid to God. So if you're in the frontish part of the room, I'll let, if you're on the edge, I'll let you decide which group you want to be. Or as a group, I'll let you decide which uh, uh, direction you want to go. But if you're in the front of the room, pick God. And then I'll come out with a microphone in just a couple minutes and maybe get some ideas about how Jesus could have paid the debt to God. Um, if you're on the left side of the room, that's you guys. Um, you kind of make the argument that Jesus paid the debt to the devil. And you could easily argue that. And, and um, um, I think you could easily, in my thinking, this is kind of the simplest one because it's like, we turned to the devil when we sin. Uh, the devil kind of kidnapped us because we were sinning, and it's like a ransom that, that Jesus had to pay to the devil to get us back on God's side. So kind of make that argument. Maybe find some verses or just kind of think through that. And finally, if you're on the right side of the room, try to make the argument that Jesus paid the debt to the law, meaning um, God had this system. Like if you sin, the wages of sin is death according to romans that famous verse and so that system that legal system is set in place for for in a spiritual way and so the debt was paid to the law so talk about that and you could feel free to talk about all three however if you're on one of these particular areas try to pick that side so when i go out and get some uh, ideas uh from you you could kind of be representatives of that so form some groups talk about the atonement ready get set I'm sorry to cut you, cut you probably short. This is a big question um, for discussion, but does anybody want to start us off? If you're in the... Okay, I'll, I'll come back there. <clears throat> so this is... Uh, what, what side did you choose? The left? <laughs> we chose the devil. <laughs> I know exactly what you meant. It's not... All right, go ahead. Well, um, during the temptation of Christ... Is it on? Can you hear him? It's okay. <laughs> During the temptation of Christ, the devil says that if you bow down to me, Jesus, I'll give you the world, showing his dominion over the world. Yeah. And through Christ's death, Satan won Christ as the atonement and as his dominion over Christ for a time, giving up his power over the world. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's good. That's perfect. So the devil, somebody else for the, the devil's... So it sounds horrible. The, on the devil's side is... It's like, no, that's not what we're... You know what we're talking about. Here's Michelle. All right. Well, there's a, a scene in The Lion, Witch of the Wardrobe where the white witch is coming, and she's talking about how um, all sin belongs to her. And um, the white witch, of course, represents the devil. Yeah. And, uh, and so they were going to sacrifice Edmund because of his sin. Well, when Aslan steps in and said, no, take my blood instead... The witch kind of got so the, it's it's kind of making a deal with 
the witch, the devil. Yeah, I like that. So. And so, yeah, C.S. Lewis, this great writer who, who talks in, and a lot of this is analogy, the metaphor. Um, and so that's great. Yeah, so let's go maybe to the, the right side or the front. Anybody want to share as a representative? Yes, okay, I'll go to the front. So this was the front was kind of Jesus paid the debt to God. Here's Annie. Okay, so Romans 3.23 says, Since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. He did this to show his righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the sins previously committed. So... Just there is that idea that um, it is to the Lord. But I would also go so far as to say that the law of God and God are synonymous with one another. Um, So it is the um, price that Jesus paid was um, both to the law as well as to God. Good, yeah. So God being the author of the law. So maybe some some common ground with the right side of the room. Everybody's pointing at you. Don't do that, by the way. If someone has something to say, they will raise their hand. Do you have some, do you have, uh, Jared can speak for Jared. So Jared, do you have something to say? Okay, pretty much the same as Annie. Same verse. Hebrews 9.22 says, And almost all things are by the law, purged with the law. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. Yeah. So it's like, God made the law, so it's his law. So we're going to pay the law back, but we're also paying God back. Okay, good. Yeah, so some Jesus. common ground between God and the law. That's good. Well done, Jared. Glad people were pointing at you. So unless I see, I don't see any more hands. I'm going to give you the three um, theories of atonement. And these aren't like the three. But in your notes, the theories of atonement, I've numbered them one, two, three. And these are the ones that have kind of stood the test of time. Um, They're big theological words attached to each one of them. But um, these are the, the different ways of answering the question to the devil, Jesus paid the debt to God. Jesus paid the debt to the law. So throughout Christian history, theologians, people just thinking theologically like all of us, I would say we're theologians in here, um, come to this question of like, how does salvation work? We, we know that it works. Jesus says that it works. Believe upon him and you have remission for your sins. The, wor- the works, the writings of Paul, we believe it's true. But when we really get down to the question of how does it work, um, there's three theories. And these are the most popular theories. There's probably other theories. In fact, I think there are. But <coughs> in most Protestant evangelical Christian churches, these are the three that we usually talk about. And so the first one is the ransom theory or the Christus, uh, Christus Victor theory of atonement, which means, which kind of says that, that Jesus paid the ransom to the devil. And if, I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe that this was, in coming to thoughts about the atonement, the earliest church kind of promoted this theory. This is like, and I think in many ways, this is the simplest idea that, that we as humans go the way of the devil and are under his power when we sin, when at the, the, the garden, when we uh, first turned our backs upon God, and when we all individually turn our backs upon God, we are kind of in the devil's domain, like we are under his kind of rule. And so Jesus um, took the, the punishment that we should have, that the devil should be giving us uh, with our sins. Jesus took that upon himself and paid the ransom, like when someone's kidnapped. So potentially we were kidnapped by the devil, and Jesus paid the ransom. Jesus said, take me instead. And so he sets the captives, us, free by paying the debt 
to the devil. And that's a simple kind of way of talking about theology um, and how the atonement works. But there's, there's some problems with each one of these. And by the way, we're not going to answer the, the theories of atonement with, by saying, here's the one we believe at New Life Church, but rather saying, these are all three legitimate ideas about how we, we talk about the atonement. And then we'll kind of cl- conclude today with this bigger idea of what we should do in light of that. But uh, the problem with, with this particular one is that it gives the devil a lot of power. Because if we really think about who the devil is, we have to realize that he's not God. God is God. And the devil, um, however you want to think about it, was a creation of God that turned evil. And there's stories that go along with that that are potentially in the Bible or Christian folklore. Um, but anyways, we, we have to say that, that, that Satan, the devil, was a creation of God. So it's like, it, like the devil's just like an ant. Of, and God could crush him at any moment. So why would God have to die and pay his own life to, to some creation of his that he could just crush like an ant? And so that's kind of the, if you want to think about the, the problem uh, with this particular atonement theory, but, but its strength that I think is that it's the most simple. The second one, what we're going to talk about is uh, the law. Um, Jesus paid the, the, the price to the law, to the penal system. Uh, he, he, Jesus, was the substitution sacrifice to the law. He, this is, uh, you could also call this the judicial um, theory of atonement. And it basically goes something like this. Like if you get caught speeding and get a speeding ticket and have to go to court, anybody ever done that? <laughs> Look at all the hands. <laughs> anyway, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, you go, um, there's really no... Um, so you're the defendant, right? And there's, there's really no plaintiff because you didn't really sin against somebody. It's not like you stole something from somebody. You just sped. And so the judge would be God. You would be the plaintiff. And so who do you pay um, in the system of, of pay, making amends for your sin, the sin of speeding too fast on I-25? Who do you pay to atone for your sins? Well, you kind of pay the law. You pay the judicial system. You don't go up there and hand a $100 bill to the judge. In fact, that would be illegal. Uh, he, would, he would just be like, seriously, dude? Um, so you don't pay it to the judge. You don't pay it. There's really no um, plaintiff. I, I think I'm getting my judicial terms right. There's really, you're the defendant. There's really no plaintiff. So it's not like the, the, the devil is accusing you or something. It's like, no, you're caught. God knows you're caught um, of your sin. You have to pay um, out of the, the legal system. And this is, I think this, this system really came out of the Reformation and looking at legal systems and saying, like, the whole Old Testament is set up as a legal system. If you sin, well, then there needs to be blood atonement. The, the, the wages of sin is death. And so when you sin, um, in the Old Testament, an animal had to be killed. And so Jesus was once and for all the sacrifice for our sins. And so it's like this judicial system, this law system. And so I think that one's um, uh, maybe like the first one, kind of easy to understand. I know that for me personally, when I was in high school in 10th grade, uh, I was going to this youth group and we went on a ski retreat. And at the ski retreat, I heard the gospel presented very clearly and, to me in a way that I understood. And it was like a court scene. It was like, here you are in heaven, standing before the judge, God. The devil is accusing you of sins and, and you have sinned. And so the penalty for your sin is death. What are you going to do? It's like, I guess I'm going to die. And then Jesus comes in and says, you have been 
um, guilty of sin, but Jesus is going to pay the penalty for your sin, and so so you can go free. And I was like, yes, of course I want that in my life. And so that's kind of one of my stories about the, the night I kind of gave my life to Christ, that simple atonement theory of like this law, this legal system. And so finally, the, the last theory of atonement is often just called the satisfaction theory. And of course, it's satisfying God. And this theory of atonement basically says God was offended when we sin, when we turn our backs upon him, his honor. This um, uh, theory of atonement came out in the Middle Ages, as I imagine you know, the idea of honor was very big back then. So God's honor was, was slapped. You know, we slapped God in the face when we sin. And so it's to God that we need to pay back um, uh, our, you know, the debt of sin, and Jesus did that. And so this one, I think, has its strength in that God is God. God is the most sovereign in this last theory of atonement because God created the law. He created, you know, this devil or this 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 thing that would turn bad. Um, and so it's like God. We truly have God as the sovereign Lord over all. That is. Um, that is the one that requires the, the satisfaction uh, of sins that we've committed. I think the problem uh, with this one is that so we can c- come to God with like, oh, God is this mean, wrathful God. Jesus is this nice son. And so when we believe upon Jesus, well, then God isn't so angry at us anymore. And if we think about it like that, then this one kind of is problematic. But if we think about it as, as just wrath, and judgment is is potentially a good thing like justice is a good thing and and punishment for for something that has gone wrong is 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 in a way a good thing if someone harms you and justice happens to that person that harmed you you would say that that's a good thing justice is a good thing so anyways um these are the three theories of atonement kind of need to wrap up here and just conclude with this um this, this idea that no matter how you think about it, and I think just by um, throwing these atonement theories at you this morning will allow us to think, and it's a, it's a question of like how salvation works. It's a question that may not be totally answerable, at least in here in the confines of, you know, d- thinking about uh, and, and, and honestly uh, comparing each of these, but it's a question that's in some ways inevitable. If you, you believe in Jesus for, your, for, the, for the, the, the ransom of your sins, the satisfaction of your sin, the substitution of your sin, then at some point you have to say, well, how does that really work? What metaphor should we really be using here? And, and that is, is fun to think about. It's beautiful to think about it, maybe even hard to think about. But in the end, I wanted to conclude with this idea that Jesus on the cross, no matter how we think about it, we, we, we should, our ultimate um, response to him should just be thank you. No matter how it, it works as far as substitution or ransom or satisfaction of, of our sins and our shortcomings to God, Jesus did pay it. And so we, we need to come to him and just say thank you. And so it's with that that we uh, will just close in prayer. And so, Father, we, we do come before you and we, we are so very thankful that you yourself, you died for our sins. You paid the price for, for us falling short of your glory. And God, the, the, the Bible is so clear that the wages of sin, the wages of falling short of your um, awesomeness and perfection and turning our backs on our creator is death. And, and Jesus, you died for us, taking that, 
that, that punishment upon yourself. And so we are thankful. We, we thank you, Jesus, for that. We, we love you. We praise you. And everybody said, amen. All right, friends, go in peace. You're dismissed. We'll see you next week. You don't want to miss it. We'll talk about the resurrection. Thank you for listening to the Mill Sunday School podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.